0: Uh, we're going to be in a, in a passage today in this familiar story, hopefully familiar if you've been around, uh, of, of two kings, a good one and a bad one, or a better one and a bad one. Uh, the, the good one has some bad days. But uh, uh, David, uh, the good one, Saul, uh, the bad one, Saul first and, and deposed in recent days by the God who anointed him and placed him in charge of Israel. David, the freshly anointed, the giant slayer, right? We just finished that story of David and Goliath. Uh, and, and now we move into the interplay between these two kings. Um, the one on the way, the one on the way out. Uh, we're gonna watch uh, the reactions of the people in Israel to the blessings of God on them through this champion, David. We're also gonna see the reactions of his, uh, of his king. They're not as warm. <laughs> and, and we're gonna hopefully learn together how God wants us to act uh, when he blesses someone else. Anybody grateful for the blessings of God? It's like a huge part of the Christian vernacular. God bless you. Maybe you got a coffee mug with that on it or something like that. Yeah, it's all over our scriptures. It's most famously probably in Numbers chapter six uh, where this was the blessing conferred over Israel at the time. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a good one, Right? But that's what we live to do, to to ask God to bless those around us and to be thankful to him for when he blesses us. But sometimes that's harder than other times. Like in the story of Saul, it was very difficult. In fact, he didn't even try. But for him to celebrate how God was blessing David, it felt like a threat. And sometimes it's how it feels with us. Like you're at the, at the job with maybe a friend uh, who's a fellow believer and you're both praying for this promotion. You know, your will be done, God. Whoever's supposed to have the job, uh, you know, give it to that person. Uh, but you, what you're really praying is, Lord, give it to me, not them. And, and then the Lord gives it to them and not you. And you're like, well... Or or you're in life group with another family and your kids are the same age and they both come up in our ministries and uh, their kids, uh, you know, became, you know, one of them's the Pope now and uh, that's not, I I said that first service and it felt weird then. But anyway, but but they're really great and they love the Lord and they found these Christian spouses and your kids have it. Let's just leave it there. And you're like, oh, God bless them, not me. Or maybe you're just, you know, kind of having a rough patch in life and you're, General demeanor is just, and, and, and happy people make you matter. Has anybody had those days? Quit being so happy up in here. I'm in the middle of a bad day. Respect that. It's hard for, it tells us in Romans that Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're supposed to be outwardly focused, not inwardly obsessed. But it's so hard not to do that sometimes. And so today, hopefully, we'll... Uh, Uh, Take a step closer to what God hopes for us when he blesses others, the things that he has for us. Uh, But first, we're going to read this passage because I'm going to just chunk it all up and and, uh, pop all over the place with us. I want us to get the whole story. We're going to read it together in respect for God's word. Would you stand with me? And we're actually going to read the words from the screen together. I know. We're up again. You've got to be kidding. (laughs) What kind of church is this? Is this aerobics? Am I at the gym? Here we go. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says this. Read it with me. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of the people, all the people, and in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, When David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can be have but the kingdom? Huh. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Almost done. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, and he as he did day to day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Last verse, but in Israel and Judah, they loved David for he went out. You did a great job. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Like I said, this is a a portion of our Bibles that's Kind of like a story being told, and you circle back, you remember, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you this, when David was coming back from beating the Philistines, they sang songs, and it kind of loops around like that, and so I wanted us to get the whole thing so I could kind of give you the pieces in a flow that we can understand, and what we're going to do today is we're going to try to uh, understand from this text how uh, to act and to not act when God blesses someone else. Uh, Can we start? Here we go. How to act and not act when God blesses someone else. Uh, This is how you should act. The first thing you should do is respect what God has done and is doing through this person that he has chosen to bless. Many in the nation of Israel did just that. They, They recognized that David had no business winning this fight with this almost 10 foot tall guy, right? And so God was obviously on him, this incredible victory over the enemies that are the Philistines was a God-directed you know, thing, and, and God had blessed this shepherd boy. You know, out of anonymity, he comes, and he, he becomes the champion of Israel, and people around him were just like, wow. So that was the initial sense, but then as they got to know him, we're going to see, they were just like, man, we thought he was cool, but now we know. He's amazing. Everybody, pro-David, <laughs> except for Saul. Uh, So we should be, when God blesses someone else, a respecter of, a a recognizer of, a a, a reverer, if that's a word, of what God has done and is doing through them. Look what it says in verse five. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that that Saul set him over the men of war. Um, David had succeeded militarily, uh, private first class or whatever his rank was when he knocked the giant down. Uh, but uh, in that, he showed Saul he could be trusted with other men. And when he went out with these men, uh, he was successful with them. They'd do these other you know, uh, missions and, and, and he'd come back. He came out and went back, came back over and over again. And, and the, the military respected and, and, uh, and followed David as he led them. It says in the rest of the verse that it was, this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The people are like, good on, David. He's not just you know, a, a one-trick pony. He's, he's serving us in other ways. And, and, the, and the government, the, 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 those who served with the king in the palace, his servants, his, his leaders, they all love David too. He's got a high Q rating. He's like Morgan Freeman up in here, right? Do you know Morgan Freeman has the highest approval rating of any celebrity according to this website that I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but that's David. Everywhere he goes, uh, everything he touches turns to gold. It says in verse 16 that all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a, uh, an idiom of the time that means whatever he went out to do, he did, and then he came back, and we got to celebrate what, what was accomplished by him and through him. David was dependable. God was with him. Everything he touched turned to gold. We, we should be able to do that. When, when God blesses someone else, let's recognize that as the will of God on their life uh, for them to have something that maybe we don't, but we could still rejoice with those who rejoice. And even remind them when they have a hard time remembering how God has used them and blessed them, that this is what God's done in your life, right? Maybe you got someone in your life that they can kind of forget, you know, see the, the hole instead of the donut, Right? Um, uh, they they focus on all the negatives and if you're you're married you've done this my Eleanor does this for me all the time I seek to do it for her especially at her job like she's got you know she's leading in an organization like some of you are and and there's always something there's always something going on that needs her attention and and she has to learn different ways to lead Um, but my role I think in those conversations with her is is to encourage her in whatever that particular issue is but then to say hey but Eleanor don't forget You've worked there for seven years and God has done this and this and this and this and all these things by his grace through you and be encouraged by that. It's our, it's our blessing, our grace to be able to recognize what God is, done or is doing and has done through people and, and to revere that, respect it, and remind them of it from time to time. It's also a blessing to be able to rejoice not just in the, the things that successful people do, but in the effects that their achievements bring to our lives. Uh, there's a saying, I'm gonna botch it, but like, uh, you know, one tide raises all the boats. It's something like that. Everybody, anybody heard that one? All the boats win when the tide goes up kind of deal. Am I even close? It feels good, right? Let's keep going. But I think that saying is wrapped up in, hey, if, if, if one boat is blessed or one boat rises, all the boats have this you know, residual raise. There's, there's good things that happen, and it's so important that we see that. God blesses each of us so that we can be a blessing by him or with him to other people, right? Uh, growing up, I'm grateful my dad went to work and got blessed with a paycheck because I ate off of that thing, right? Uh, it happens all the time, and uh, and we should be recognizing of that. I, I love that the women sang this song. It's going to turn out poorly for their king, Saul. He's going to hear a different song. But the women uh, came out in verse 6, and, and they basically, you know, had, I don't know if they got on some kind of Facebook group or chat or something, but they, they concocted this song, and, uh, and everybody knew the lyrics. And so as, as Saul and his army would be marching back, uh, you know, from the battlegrounds uh, against the Philistines, they would come out of their houses, and they'd play the tambourines, and I don't know if they had kazoo's I don't know but they they they'd sing this song right and what was the lyrics they would it says that they would sing to King Saul and they would say they would start with him Saul has struck down his thousand and David has struck down his 10,000 everybody understands hyperbole right if i've said this once i've said it a million times i haven't said it a million times that's hyperbole i'm exaggerating for effect no one kept account count of Saul's kills. We don't know if he had 1,000. Certainly David did not have 10,000. He had one. He was a big guy, but he hadn't taken out 10,000 dudes. The women who were singing this song were applauding both men and being hyperbolic in their expression of it. Both of these guys were crucial. All, I'm saying all this because Saul's not going to take it that way if you haven't figured that out. Um, but these ladies, are they're singing it that way. We're so grateful for both these guys. Why? Does anybody ever wonder why these women sing this? Because they're married to soldiers, some of them. Because many of them are mothers of soldiers, and these soldiers went to fight a war against the Philistines, and guess what? David stood in the gap between that army and that army, beat the giant, and then this army conquered that army, and their sons and husbands came home. Thank you, David. Thank you, Saul. Your blessing is my blessing. If we could just learn to do that in life and instead of like being jealous or envious of someone else's success, recognize instead as God blesses them, they'll be a blessing to other people. And oftentimes, they're a blessing to me. So, rejoice in the effect that the achievements of the blessed have on us. I mean, I, man, I could just fill our time talking about our staff. And, and just the, the, the myriad of ways that God has used each of them to bless this place. I could, I, I'm looking in the faces of the people who volunteer here. And I know that God has used you and all of us together as God blesses, blesses each of us with our gifts and our efforts and our, our time with, with each other. He, he, the, all boats rise, right? That's how a church is meant to work. God blesses us, we bless each other but I don't have time, so I'm just gonna keep going. But thank you, a big blanket of thanks over everybody for allowing God to bless you and bless us as a church. This is the big one, remove yourself from your throne. Certainly recognize, revere, and uh, respect what God has done and is doing through those that he blesses. Um, Rejoice in the effects that that blessing has on you, not just them. But then the big one, this is where Saul fails. The big one is to have a humble approach to however God chooses to bless someone else. It's not a, a me-focused approach where uh, I look at their blessing and I'm like, oh, I wish I had that. What about me? That's not how we should look at things. Um, Bye. We should all be grateful that by his grace, God makes the sun to rise and set on the wicked and the righteous both, okay? And his blessings are uh, uh, unmerited every time to anybody and a miracle. And when they come, we shouldn't be jealous of them, envious of them. We should be rejoicing in them. And that will require us to remove ourselves from our throne. Everybody point uh, to here. I guess the heart back then was more down here. Someone corrected me after the last service. But the, the, the heart uh, of a person has a throne in it. And it's, it's a one-seater. Uh, at one time, there can only be one person in charge of you. And often, it's us on that chair, right? We're just looking at everything, and, and we're, we're focused on how it affects us because we're on the throne of our lives. But Jesus comes and dies, And rises again so that through faith in him, we can be freed from this curse that is sin and is self. And we can put the right uh, king on our throne, him. And he can be the ruler of us. And it's when we have him on our throne that we're able to see as he sees. And we can set ourselves aside and allow his plans uh, to go forth around us and even with us as we do. Look what it says in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here's the scene. If you finish uh, chapter 17, th- there's a meeting with Abner and Saul and David. Uh, Saul doesn't recognize David for whatever reason, and he asks him, hey, who, who are you? What family are you? I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And, and it's this whole con- you know, conversation. It apparently ends, and it's there that we see that Jonathan, who's Jonathan? the son of King Saul, right? What's his position in the kingdom at this time? He is the heir apparent to the throne, at least in everybody else's mind. He's who, this is who's gonna be king next. He's the prince. And he sees David, and immediately it says his soul is knit with his soul, now, some liberal theologians have taken this text and used it as a proof uh, that God endorses certain lifestyle choices. They see this as a romance, that, that, that Jonathan loves David, and it's a romantic relationship. And I, I got to, you know, throw the flag on that. I don't think this is what it's saying at all. In fact, this word for love, he loves him with, like his own soul. Everybody, it's the Hebrew word ahav. Everybody say Ahav. You're so good at Hebrew. Anyway, it's the same word that was used of the description of Saul's feelings for David a chapter ago when it says that Saul loved him and, and, and asked him to stay and, and wrote his father and said, I love your son. He's staying with me. No one takes that one as romantic. Well, but they sometimes, I believe, misinterpret this as a romance between Jonathan and Dave. It's not. It's, listen, guys, It's completely normal for men to have deep, meaningful, loving relationships with each other. It's right. It's how God designed us. In Proverbs, it says that as iron sharpens iron, so a man should sharpen another guy. And so, ladies, thank you for your relationships with us. You help us with uh, understanding feelings and love and relationships. A lot of us aren't, you know, guys aren't akin to that. But, fellas, don't let it just you know, stay there. Uh, And don't just have like, you know, punch each other in the face kind of relationship. You know, that's how guys are a lot of times. Have deep, meaningful, connected relationships with other brothers in Christ. We need them so that iron can sharpen iron. Guys understand guys in ways that our ladies can't. We love you ladies, but we're weird. You know that. I'm I'm not saying anything new. And so a lot of times it takes one of us to understand the other. That's what Jonathan and David had. It's it's certainly game-recognizing game. Jonathan's a warrior. If you go back like four chapters in chapter 14, Jonathan charges up a hill and takes on a Philistine garrison himself. He's probably standing on the hill as David's slaying Goliath and being like, my man, that's a guy with the same kind of courage I got. But then he gets to know him, and on whatever level his soul is knit with David's to the point that He makes a covenant with him. That's what it says in verse three, that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Where have I heard that before? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as you love yourself. Oh, maybe maybe Jonathan's kind of ahead of the curve here. Uh, He's learning to love as he loves himself, his own soul. But he loves David, and he makes this covenant. It doesn't describe or, or detail the covenant for us in specific terms, but we know what he's doing because the next verse shows us what was in the covenant? It says in verse four that Jonathan stripped himself of the robe, he took it off, and he gave it to David. And then he gave him his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt, everything. What is this symbolizing in this covenant? The robe, back in those days, was a big deal. Anybody remember Joseph? He had this coat of many colors, right? And so that was kind of a sign of his father's favor on him. It turned out kind of poorly for a second, but uh, eventually it, it all came back. Anyway, uh, uh, but robes were kind of signs, just like today. Like if you see royalty today, they're kind of, you know, dressed up. They got the sash and the sword and the medals and sometimes the crown and stuff like that. Well, well Jonathan had a robe where everybody who saw him, right, when they, when they saw him come out, they'd be like, oh, crown prince, there he is. That's Saul's kid. That's his robe. They know who he is from how he dresses. And uh, Jonathan takes this robe, this sign of his regency off, and he puts it on the shoulders of his friend David, not because David's cold, but as a sign that I recognize your right to the throne. And on top of that, have all of my armor. Take all of my stuff. It's this this symbol of his submission to the king who has been anointed by God, even though he had a birthright to the throne. Oh, that we would have this. Has everybody read this? in our scriptures, that we should humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift us up? I think it's in there. It is. <laughs> that we should you know, come to each other and, and wherever possible, take ourselves off the throne, take the glasses off our eyes, and, and look instead at people as God would have us look at them and recognize his plan through them. And even if it means I seemingly lose, to let them step in place. I, I, just, uh, this is bonus material. Um, I'm not gonna be your pastor forever. I don't have any plans. I hope it goes as long as God will allow, but there will be a day where I step down as the leader of this church. And I'm not saying that I'm looking forward to the day, but I am not afraid of that day. Because when it's not my time, I trust that God will have the next one who it is their time. And pray with me that I humbly uh, endorse, uh, espouse, and then uh, allow the next leader to lead whenever that's God's timing. Even if it's not my preferred, pray for me that I would be Jonathan in that situation, and I'll pray for you to be Jonathan in yours, cool? All right, that's how we should act. Respect, recognize, revere God's work in someone. Rejoice in how it changes our lives, and then remove ourselves from the throne. Let's quickly learn how not to act. And let's go to jo- or the, who's Jonathan's dad, Saul, who's going to teach us from pretty much now on, here's what you don't do. Uh, first thing, how not to act when God blesses someone else, don't mooch off of them. I have it on good authority that mooch is actually a word. Look what it says in verse two. It says this, Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Saul took the, the, the reins of David's life and said, you're staying here. You have things that I can use, and so I'm taking you and putting you in in my service. Uh, You don't have a choice, you're mine. Uh, Samuel, the the prophet whose name is on this book, uh, had been asked of Israel to give him the king, Saul was that king, and uh, you remember Samuel was so fussed out about that, he was not pleased with that, he knew God was supposed to be king, and so God says, yeah, but we'll give him a king, it'll teach him a lesson, we'll use Saul to teach him a lesson. And, and he said, "Just let them know. I'll give them a king, but here's what they can expect." And in Samuel, our first Samuel, uh, chapter eight, verse eleven, this is what God said through Samuel to Israel. He said, "These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. Isn't that what he just did? He just took the son of Jesse, David. He'll take your sons, and he'll put them in his employ." And they'll die in his service because they'll, uh, you know, run uh, next to his chariots and and be his horsemen and 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 lead in his armies. Uh, You're going to lose your kids once you get this king. And so Samuel called it. Saul's doing it. Saul's been doing it back in chapter 14. It tells us this about Saul that when Saul was, um, you know, out there and saw any strong man or any valiant man, he always took him. You're mine. You're coming with me. And that's just the nature. Uh, I bring this up because uh, we can run into this. Sometimes we have relationships for what they give us, not for what we can give them. In fact, a lot of times when there's conflict in relationships it's because somewhere subconsciously deep beneath that relationship surface, that's the bargain that we've made. Hey, as long as you're giving to me, as long as you're benefiting me, we'll be friends. But as soon as you're not, I'm out because all, I'm in, all I am about you know, in, in this relationship is this. I'm in second grade, this kid, Glenn. Uh, I never hung out with him at all in school, but he comes back from second grade uh, in January after Christmas and informs the whole class that he got the Evil Knievel jump kit set. Now, you gotta be old enough. Evil Knievel was this daredevil in the 70s. Um, back before the internet existed, this is how we had fun. We would take a, a, an action figure. It wasn't a doll, it was an action figure. And the motorcycle would hook up to this ramp and we'd crank this thing and hit a button and this motorcycle, it was so lame. Just even talking about it now, I feel so bad. But back then it was the, hmm. And so Glenn comes in and announces this and second grade Mark says, Glenn's my friend. (laughs) Glenn, how's it going, buddy? I don't know if we've met. We've met, yeah, but we're gonna meet. Where do you keep the evil Knievel stuff? Oh, it's back at the house. Guess who's coming over today? This guy, right? I followed him home. I, I walked into his house, January in Canada, took my boots off and my coat, and it's like, where's Evil Knievel? And he's like, it's in my room, and I played with Evil Knievel, wore Evil Knievel out. It Turns out he had a whole set of toys, and every day, pretty much, I'd go over to Glenn's house and play with his toys, until I got tired of his toys, and guess what happened? I get tired of Glenn, and guess, guess what happened to our friendship? It just went back to being what it was, non-existent. Why? Because Glenn had nothing to offer me. Some of you are like, oh, it's so bad. This happens in marriages. This happens in families where everything's about me, even this relationship, and if there's nothing here for me, I can't mooch off you anymore. I'm done with you. That's not what God created to have happen in relationships. So don't mooch off of the people that God blesses. Secondly, don't let pride produce jealousy or envy or jealous envy in your heart. So back to the song thing, the ladies are singing the songs, we've already covered it. Saul doesn't hear the same song that David and the rest of Israel hears. Everybody else hears, praise God for how he worked through Saul our king and David his warrior. Saul hears 10,000, 1,000, right? That's what it says in verse 8. It says, Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. Why? Because they've ascribed to David his 10,000 and I only got the 1,000 and what more can he have but the kingdom? Spoiler alert, David is going to get the kingdom. Saul was somewhat right in fearing his replacement. Uh, but it changes his heart towards uh, his hero. Don't forget, we're, we're just a chapter away from David saving Saul and the rest of Israel. From, you know, the, the, the giant and, and, and the rest of the Philistines. Uh, he had every reason to be grateful to this kid and to, to you know, uh, applaud him, but as soon as this kid in his perception uh, was receiving more kudos than him, now we're done. Isn't that amazing? Anybody ever heard that saying, perception is reality? Just so we're clear, reality is reality. What we're saying when we say that is when someone has a false perception of reality, you can't just come at them with the objective truth. You've got to work through whatever the lies they're telling themselves so that you can actually get them to where they can understand what's true and right and follow it. You with me? So, perception isn't reality. Reality is reality, but I have to deal with your perception before we can get to what's real. Here's what's happening with Saul the spirit of God has left him. He's being plagued by a different spirit that God has appointed or allowed to be a part of his life. It is feeding the fuel and fueling the fire of his selfishness. And so, his perception runs uh, through that filter of me. And even though David is this humble servant, all he can see is a threat. Everybody know the difference between jealousy and envy? They're kind of related, but they're, they're subtly different. Envy is, is externally motivated. I want what you have. Now, jealousy is, is more about what I already have and want to keep. Right? You can't have what I have, that's jealousy. I want what you have, that's envy. That's why we sing songs like, he is jealous for me. Jealousy can be a good thing. If you're jealous for the things you rightfully have, fine. But if you're ever jealous for the things that are not yours, or that God wants to you know, shift away from you, now we've got a problem. And that's what, that's what Saul is. He's jealous for his throne, even though God's given it to someone else. And told him that there's someone better who's coming for your throne. It's not news. He just doesn't want to give it up. He's certainly envious of David's popularity and we can get there too. I want what they have. I want to keep up with the Joneses and I don't want you to take what I have because I'm idolatrous about my stuff and I don't want anybody else to have it. It's, it's 80s songs, right? Jesse is a friend. He's always been a good friend of mine but lately something's changed. It ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. You know, I wish I had Jesse's girl. Envy, right? (laughs) Jealousy. Go back for some of us who are older. Jolene, 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 Jolene. (laughs) I got got to look at the next lyric because I made myself laugh. I'm begging of you, please, don't take my man. Jolene, four times. Please don't take him just because you can. That's jealousy and a rightful one in that song. So, when it comes to God blessing someone else, do everything you can to fight against the me, me, me's and the jealousy and the envy that comes from them. And then, most importantly, don't pick up any spears. <laughs> Did you know that in the lists of the sins in the New Testament, it almost always starts, like in 2 Corinthians there's one, in Galatians there's one, it almost always starts with these like junior sins, like, like opener sins, things like jealousy, envy conditions of the heart, and you know where they graduate to? Malice, wrath, and anger. See, sin isn't satisfied with the junior sins. It wants the majors. And this is what's going to happen with Saul. I, this is my, I'm going to end with this because we've got to go home. But what an incredible story this is. is everybody, did everybody pick up what we read earlier? Maybe you're just reading it so you can sit back down. Uh, it says in verse 10 that the next day after hearing the song, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. We talked about that a few uh, weeks ago when the spirit of God left Saul and this harmful spirit was allowed to plague him. Uh, he, he was raving within his house while David was playing his lyre. If you're he here for that week, Saul would have these fits of rage or depression or anxiety and David would come in and he'd be like his Spotify playlist that would basically just play these soothing songs that would help him you know, relax. And so first thing, David has killed a giant, and he's back being the musical intern at the palace. I marvel at that. Right, everybody else in here—maybe not everybody—but your pastor would be like, "Really, Lord? I'm going to go back playing guitar for this guy? I just killed a giant. How about how about a little something, something for the effort?" Right? But no, humbly, David goes back to doing what he was doing. He's playing songs to th- soothe his king, and it tells us that while he was doing this, Saul had a spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, hey, I'll just pin David to the wall, and this whole thing will be over. No one will be be celebrating a dead guy. We'll just make him a shish kebab, and we'll be done. But this is the most amazing thing. David evaded the spear twice. Okay, we don't have all the details, but here's what I think happened. David, humbly serving his king, is just kind of, you know, into his song, maybe playing with his eyes closed. All of a sudden, he hears a whoosh. And a spear goes past his head, and he's like, Oh, I guess Saul's gonna practice throwing his spear. Apparently, I'm in the shooting range. (laughs) I should probably go play over here. Saul walks over to the side of the room where his spear is stuck in the wall, grabs it again, and this time David's like, Wow, I don't think he's gonna throw it in the same direction he did last time. (laughs) And here comes the spear again, and David's like, That was for me! And we don't know what happens after that. I want the transcript. Who wants the transcript? I want the video. Doesn't anybody want the vi- Saul, ho king, hey, wait a minute. You can't be chucking spears just willy-nilly around here. And David's like, what did I do? I'll play a different song. Uh, but what a scene. What, I mean, what a, what a horrible thing sin is. I don't know if you turn on your news and you're surprised anymore. I'm not surprised anymore. I'm not surprised by the depravity of man. I am not surprised by the conflicts of the world. I, re- I, I pray for them. You should as well. Please continue to pray for everything that's going crazy in our world. But don't be surprised because a broken world produces broken stuff and it's, it's just always been that way. It always will be that way until God sends his son back and we all get to get out of here. But this is what sin does to us. If we aren't careful with who's on the throne of our lives, if we are sloppy and we put these things back on, then everything gets tainted by our self-interest and our self-worship. And what it produces in the end is is that we live in the fear of other people's successes. We are threatened by God blessing those around us because we somehow make it all about me. And what I'm telling you, is that that is not what God designed us for. He designed us to live for his glory and to serve and to provide for those that he has created around us. And so now, what do you do with this? Well, some of you, I've been, I started preaching this and you're like, uh-oh. Because you know that you know that you know that you're Saul to this David in your life. You've, you've long resented this brother or sister, this coworker, this friend at school, because they have and you don't. You've been envious. You've been protective of your stuff, jealous over things. And you're, you're in this box, this, this, this cage of anger, and, and, and your resentment's just going to keep you in that vein. Thanksgiving's coming up. You're going to have to sit across the table from them again And it's going to be hard until you recognize this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the one who wears the big girl or big boy pants. I'm supposed to be the one who adopts the character of God in this relationship. And so by his grace, I confess my sin. I'll repent of my sin. I'll speak to this person even if they think I'm crazy. I'll tell them how I felt just so I can be free of my sin and I'll do this differently so this relationship can be what God wants it to be. That's my hope for you. So if that's you, head in that direction. If that's not you, praise God and stay where you are, humbly, grateful for, recognizing, revering, rejoicing in the blessings that God gives to other people, constantly removing yourself from the throne. We should all be grateful for God's blessings, ours and those that he chooses to give others, right? Let's sing about those blessings as we close.